Hi, Caitlin McGrath here, founder of Be Her Village. Welcome back to the Be Her Village podcast. We are a podcast that covers uh, birth services, postpartum services, birth stories, parent stories, and really anything that I find interesting and I want to include on the podcast. So today, I am so lucky to be sitting across from Heather Simonson, who is the owner of Sea Change Holistic Wellness Center in Lindenhurst. She is a licensed excuse me, a licensed clinical social worker, a sex therapist, a Reiki healer, and a yoga teacher. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Caitlin, for having me. You are so welcome. I'm really excited today. Um, The reason why I asked you on this podcast is because I saw what you did. You created Sea Change Holistic Wellness Center, and it's so beautiful. We're sitting in it right now. And I just reached out to you and I said, hi, I need to meet you. And you said, okay, So I came in and within 10 minutes, I was talking about that time I found my G-spot and was was having spectacular You You really were. It was awesome. And what I love about that meeting is that I didn't know that you were a sex therapist. (laughs) That's just what I do. I I just walk around telling anybody who will listen about orgasms, my orgasms, G spots, and like having sex because it's kind of my new favorite thing. So then you were like, hey, I'm a sex therapist. So I want to talk about it. Okay. Okay. So can you tell me what a sex therapist is? A sex therapist is a licensed professional, can be a social worker, a psychologist, or whatever field they choose. Um, And then as someone who does a a postgraduate program, um, for me, it took me about two or so years to complete everything, the coursework, the supervision, the clinical hours, um, all relating to sexology and sex therapy. So it's so I'm a clinical social worker, so it's taking what I do and practice in terms of that, but then being able to really um, – specialize in the areas of sexuality. And so it really is, and it's not just in regards to sex either, but it could be, um, you know, kids going through puberty. It could be around orientation or gender. It could be a desire discrepancy with discrepancy with a couple, um, sexual pain, or it could just be somebody or a couple who, really wants to improve their sex life, which I don't know that a lot of people will, you know, tend to seek help for that. Mm. Um, so that not that there's a problem per se, but somebody who just wants to enhance things and have, you know, the most blissful experience possible. So it really is d- addresses such a wide range of um, areas around sexuality. That's great. I think, I mean, there's so much that I want to go into, but I think I want to talk a little bit before we go into like what it actually looks like to have a sex therapist and to visit a sex therapist is about who's using a sex therapist. Cause you just, you just listed some people. And I think for me, you know, I'm always honest about my experience. So I, I loved sex when I was dating and when, you know, my husband and I were married without children, which was like for three months, <laughs> got pregnant right away. Um, but after kids, it changed a lot. And it felt to me like a chore that I did to stay married, which sounds awful, but it really like, it wasn't like he was pressuring me or he, I just, I felt like I'm his wife. This is our relationship. We need to be having sex, but it was very much like once a week, let's have sex. Let's get it over with. Because it was like, absolutely not a priority for me. 
And so I wonder, I wonder, I think I'm on the other side of this postpartum, which is like an interesting place to be talking about sex and talking about sex for people who are birth workers working with pregnant and growing families or speaking to people who are either pregnant about to have kids or in the midst of their childbearing time. So I'm, I'm in this place where my daughter, my youngest child just is about to turn four next month. And I'm like, I mean, if you could like ever feel like I am like loving the fact that we're done with like a little baby time and I still love it professionally, but um, I'm definitely moving on from that in a personal way. And part of the moving on from it in a personal way is like rediscovering how much I love sex, rediscovering how sexual I can feel and I can be. And it's a really like, it's become fun again. It's become something I think about and we like talk about and we actively try to improve. So I wonder how many couples are out there that are actually kind of in that rote stuck. I don't want to, I don't know if stuck is the right word, but, but this kind of like, we're just going to do it and it is what it is. And it's, it's just a fact of life that maybe could really benefit from sex therapists, but didn't even know that they existed because I, until I met you, I didn't even, I mean, I knew probably that the concept of sex therapy was a thing, but it was really far deep down in my brain. It wasn't like, oh, sex is like not what I want it to be. Let me call a sex therapist. So can you talk a little bit about are people finding you in that way? How are people how are people communicating with each other about sex? Or are people landing in your office and saying, we would like to improve our sex life? And if they're not, do you think maybe they should be? Like, do you think there's an unreached population out there? Yes. To all of that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We can only guess. (laughs) Yes. A a big resounding yes. So um, first, I think that your experience is not unique, right? And that the majority of people that at least land in my office or a sex therapist's office, I I mean, I can't speak for other therapists, but at least mine. Mm -hmm. I I don't I would say the majority of if not all couples who have children who are seeking sex therapy it's that many of them the issues started once they had kids mm. some of them depending upon how their fertility went maybe it started before that if they had a difficult time getting pregnant or if they needed to go um, for fertility treatments or because the dynamic of sex completely changes, right? Right. It's almost like fertility fertility issues or not. Like the way we treat sex before we're trying to have a baby, it's like purely sexual, purely primal and pleasure. pleasure. And like, I want you and you want me and let's go have sex. Whereas when you start planning for a baby, it really becomes like, I am ovulating for the next six hours. Drop your pants. <laughs> it can be. It can become clinical. It can become a it little forced be. and like a little less spontaneous. It can be. Yeah. So for some, it puts more of the fun into it, right? Like mm-hmm. of knowing like that, oh, we're doing this for this reason. And it's right. not just about pleasure. And so it's very different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I would say that like I said, probably the majority, if not all of the couples that I see who have children, if they're coming for sex therapy, it started once they got pregnant or right after they had kids. And there are so many different reasons for that. But for the most part, the person who gave birth or the person um, who is, if there is a primary caregiver mm-hmm. in the in the um, duo, then 
their dreams. A lot of it is like energy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's your energy and your time and your attention and your nurturing. So much becomes focused on this new being that's in your life, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's a new baby or you adopted or whatever it is, focus on now raising this human that two things usually go. What, right? Because we, we, we have this energy tank and mm-hmm. we need to be able to have it filled in other ways, which a lot of it is from our own self-care, mm-hmm. right? Which is really what needs to primarily happen. Yeah. And oftentimes it doesn't. And so we look to other sources to fill that, to mm-hmm. our family, to our village, right? Hence why you're doing what you're right. doing, <laughs> yeah. to their partners. And a lot of times people don't necessarily have that or you get into love languages issues of my partners thinking that they show what showing me love mm-hmm. or thinking that they're giving me what I need but really it's not really what I need so I don't really feel loved even though they're saying that they're doing all these things right. so that you know that just becomes a cycle of sorts and um so it's either themselves their own self-care their health their energy their fitness their social life their sexuality, whatever, or, or, and, or their relationship goes to the side. Right. So because we, like I said, we only have, we, we have a reserve of energy. And if mm-hmm. we're not doing things regularly to fill that reserve, then at the end of the day, when for many couples, that's the time to be intimate, it doesn't happen because right. there's just nothing – there's oftentimes just nothing left yeah. to give. And you said like it felt like a chore. That's it what, absolutely felt like a chore. And that's what the – A majority, chore I was willing to do. Like to, I don't right. want to do other chores either, but I was willing <laughs> – I mean, really, I hate housework. That's like a whole other – I do not like housework okay. at all. Like as soon as I have any extra money, I'm hiring a maid. There you go. <laughs> my life. I just, hear you. Just to follow me around. <laughs> but I was willing to do it because I loved my husband and I knew that that's something he needed. Um, there's a, something that just popped into my head while I was listening to you talk about that self-care and that how much energy we're expending on our child is a phrase that I don't even think I knew about before I became a mother of a newborn. The phrase touched out. There is just like this intense that I think before you have a baby, you can't even really conceptualize how much our bodies are in contact with our baby and whether you're breastfeeding or not, but I I was breastfeeding and it certainly heightened like the 24 hours access to my breasts, which were by the way, formerly a sexual part of my body. And it was like a favorite part of my body that was like really involved in our sex life. And then for six long years of over the course of my nursing three children, they were off limits completely. And that it's a really big shift, I think, to have, your body be something that is available for you and is available for your partner. And then suddenly this, this child that you love and you're excited about and you're nurturing and they're so cute. But at the end of the day of being home, of being sleeping with the baby and being up with the baby, and then they're on you and they just need so many things. There's like this feeling of if one more person touches me, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) I think I'm like particularly sensitive to touch, but I think that's something that many new moms experience, new mothers in particular, Mm -hmm. this like touching out feeling, which I can imagine for their partner is frustrating (laughs) to like walk in and be like, okay, well, I, I would like to also touch you. (laughs) 
in a well, sexual way. And and that's just that's just it, right? So there so I haven't heard that phrase before. So oh you haven't touched out. Oh is my that goodness. what you said? Yeah. Touch out. Yeah. I haven't Maybe heard I that. Made it up. You might have. I really love Trademark it. Trademark Caitlin There you go. Right here on right here. on the Beer Village podcast. <laughs> Groundbreaking things are happening, guys. <laughs> so um but I think that's a really interesting concept, right? Because of a couple of things. One before what you said, I thought it was really interesting. If I can kind of turn, flip Please. it back around on you for a second. I love what you, you said. That. You do. <laughs> Be do. careful what you wish you for. You do that to me all the time. Um, I love it. Something that you said about like, well, you, you know, there were a lot of chores that you knew you needed to do, but like this is something you were willing to do mm-hmm. because it would make him happy, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a big piece of what happens is that we look at it as a chore. And this is, you know, for a lot of women, but it isn't necessarily to make us happy, right? We're yes. not looking at it as like, this is something that I'm doing for myself, that yep. this is something that's pleasure for me, that this is something that it feels so much like that we're doing it for somebody else yes. and that we're giving it, it was to a sacrifice. them. It's that it was a sacrifice. Yeah, it was and not that, a shared, I mean, obviously like there's pleasure in it, but I would have been just as fine. But, and, and, and many <laughs> really, people say that yeah. uh, very, very often. Right. Yeah. And so, so I think that there's a difference, right? Like with a baby or with our children, they, they're not, I don't know if they're how much they're taking from us, but they are right. In a sense, like we're, do, we're that skin hunger. And that's actually a part of sexuality mm-hmm. is skin hunger. Like, oh, we, I like that way better than touched out. Skin hu- <laughs> well, but I think it's, it's the, a different concept. I think it's like the, the, well, what is skin hunger? So skin, hu- so there is a model called sounds the like circle. A band name. It sounds like what? <laughs> like a band name. It does name. sound like a band name, but it's, it's pretty awesome to okay. even know about it. Yeah. But there are these, there is something, there's a model by Dennis Daly, a well-known and respected sexologist that's called the circles of sexuality. And so when people hear the word sexuality, like if they hear, oh, I'm a sexuality educator or something, right? Mm -hmm. They think all I do is talk about sex. When in reality, sexuality encompasses so much of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. Like who we are, how we like to be touched, how we like to be communicated with, how we feel about our womanhood or our manhood, our orientation, our our sexual reproductive health. I mean, I can just go on, right? Mm -hmm. So there's one aspect of it that's called skin hunger, which is literally a humans need to be touched. We actually have a need. And if we don't have that fulfilled, we can very much feel the effects of that emotionally, psychologically. Wow. I mean, if you think about just even as a doula for yourself, like Mm -hmm. how much do babies need to be held? Constantly. Right? Yeah. Like how much do babies need one-on-one skin to skin? My daughter's going to be literally a term, right? still like, we'll just come on me and just like get as much of her body on me as she physically can. It's like, she just needs that connection. She needs to like feel where she is in space and time by glomming onto me. And so, and oftentimes so does my nine-year-old, which if he heard this, he probably wouldn't be very happy that I'm saying it. So don't share this podcast. But but that's what he will maybe, but I think that that's safe to say. Like he, like it's, and it's so good. Mm. It's so good. And you know, even this weekend we were talking about like, well, what are some other ways that we can connect? But that's a whole different story in another podcast. Okay. <laughs> but all that to say is that we actually do have a need to be touched, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that what happens is that because you're touching, we're touching our children in a way that is fulfilling for us, but also in a way that is giving. And then you have your partner coming in and it feels like that that touch is, again, for them, 
right? Or it's like, mm-hmm. yes, I want to touch you, but it's not like, oh, let me, and not all the time, but oh, what do you need? Can I rub your hands for you? Can I give you a shoulder rub? How about I rub your temples? How about I just, you know, caress your skin? Or how about a foot massage? Or how about like anything that is giving to you in regards Mm. to touch? And I think that that's a part of what is missing in a lot of relationships. And it's, you know, there is something to non-sexual touch. And we don't talk about that as much. And whether that, um, and this is, you know, for heterosexual couples, right? That for men, and maybe not even just heterosexual couples, but couples that are involving a man in the relationship, mm-hmm. but that for a lot of men, that affection, like what is affection viewed as, as when you're a man, right? Like if two men hug, I mean, in certain in certain ways and sports and whatever, that might be more socially acceptable, right? Right. But there's a, there's a lot of discomfort around being affectionate in that way. And men, I think, are fairly socialized to think that touch is, I don't want to say equates to sex being sexual, but right. I think it's pretty close. Yes. And so like when there's that touch that comes into play, then it feels like, oh, they want to touch me and it's for them. Right. It's not for me. Right. But maybe if the script was flipped a little bit and it's like, hey, can I give you a back rub? Or like, and this is non-sexual touch. Right. And this is just for you. Then maybe the, it can, the dynamic can change a little bit. I love that. It's, while you're saying that, I'm thinking about, and we're, we're past that now, but I, I'm thinking back to that time when I was touched out and overwhelmed and home with the children all day. And like, anytime I would get close to my husband, like physically close to him, it was like automatically, it was like turned on, want sex. And I, sometimes I would be like, I just, I literally just want to like be able to hug you without the assumption that we're going to go have sex right now. So you're really like hitting a nail on the head of like every, every touch of contact. I sometimes just wanted to hug or to snuggle, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but I wanted to snuggle. I think snuggling is really comforting. And and it's like, I feel like I'm connecting to him then. And, but you know, it like always goes from like zero to a hundred. So it sounds like you're, it almost is, it's non-sexual touch in the sense that it's not leading to like penetrative sex that ends in orgasm, but it is sexual. And then it's like a way to connect with somebody. It's almost like we have to redefine what sex is and what sexual touch is. Not, yes, what sex is in okay. different guards, but I think what being sexual is or sensual, right. sensual. even yeah. is, right? And that's a lot of what I do with my clients is working on redefining what sex is. So like, let's say that someone gives birth and they, and I have this, you know, fairly often and there are, um, because of a traumatic birth or because of issues in healing or whatever it is, that sex is now painful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? So, and that's that happens. very common. It's very People common. People are not talking about it. Right? Or even if it's not painful, if it's, let's say there's pelvic floor dysfunction and a woman has incontinence issues and they haven't gone to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. Or which like, they should do. Which they the should do, by the way, which we also have here at C-Chain. And <laughs> you too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Who's coming here? Ariane. She oh, was yeah. at Yes, I've met her a couple of times. Very good. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yes. Um, and so um, we need to be able to redefine what sex is so that couples can still be intimate and and it doesn't need to be penetrative. Yes. It doesn't need to be. 
you know, or even if a man, let's say, has a difficult time and having an erection or keeping one, which mm-hmm. is a lot of times what is happening. It may not necessarily be related, although if I kept going back and back, it could be, but right to birthing. Yeah. But it's like, okay, well, will it not feel good still if you're touched, even if it isn't hard? Mm-hmm. Are there not still plenty of fun things that you can still do that are sexual or sensual right. that can still give you a way to connect and feel good and be pleasured or offer pleasure, mm-hmm. be receptive to that. Like there's still so many things, but we have in our head that sex equates this particular goal. Right. Penis and vagina ending in orgasm for one or both. Yeah. There's like a real narrow vision of what sex actually means. Yes. And, and not necessarily a penis, right? Because not every couple right. Is, right. has I'm a man involved. But, but no, in general, yes. yes. Like that's what... That's exactly That's what the standard. happens. And it's like when we start to actually branch out from that, there can be so many more opportunities for positive sexual interactions. Yes, exactly. Oh, everybody needs you, Heather. <laughs> I just think everybody, I don't know that everybody needs me, but I think that everybody needs to start talking more openly about sex, right? We're I in this. agree more. We're in this sexually saturated world, but completely repressed. Yes. Like how could it's right? Like and I think the Super Bowl could be a nice, you know, oh, way let's talk to about the Super Bowl. just for a second. Like okay. last year, and I was bothered by it, I will say, okay. that when Adam Levine removed his shirt during yeah. the Super Bowl. I'm so not an Adam Levine fan, by the way. Can we just talk about <laughs> he, you know, he's okay. I like I don't know. Is someone attracted to him? I, somebody. Somebody must be. Somebody is. I don't get it. But as soon as he took his shirt off and we were at a party and I just said, why? Literally, like, why? Why does that need to happen? Why is that necessary? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why do we have to sexualize all of this, right? Wow, it's so and interesting why to hear that it... from a sex therapist. Yes, People why? People must have been surprised at your Super Bowl party. That what? People must have been surprised at the Super Bowl party to have the sex therapist, like, Sounding conservative, sounding like well, why are we I think there's ones? something to be said about modesty, right? And then you have this year with J Lo and Shakira, yes, and were. that was all the talk. Oh my god! Yeah. For how many days? Well, they were super school. hot. It was incredible. They were super hot. Yeah. And people asked me this, you know, well, did you have issue with that? I was like, no, actually, in a way, I did. Not because I don't think that they should promote a strong sexuality mm-hmm. or a female presence or anything like that. But again, like, and maybe JLo's outfit was actually like nude and not actually showing her skin. But like, why do, like, why do we have to sexualize I even their outfits and their bodies yeah. in order for them to give the same exact performance? Yes. Why does it need to be I that had a way? similar reaction. I was sitting, so funny that you brought up Super Bowl. I was sitting in a room with a bunch of men that I respect and love. That's why they were in my house. And um, and some teenagers, one of which was a girl, my niece. And I don't think my daughter was in the room, which was great. But the men were all commenting so much on the bodies of the women. And it made me uncomfortable. It did. And I didn't call them out on it, which is not like me. And I actually talked to my husband about it after. He was because I gave him yeah. a look like while all the men are like, you know, just making really crude comments that like took these brilliant, talented, like business savvy, successful women who are influential for our culture and broke them down to like 
nice ass, you know, and like nice abs. And like, yeah, that's incredible how she looks like that. And it became for me like, wow, there's so much more to what they're doing. It made me uncomfortable that we were like breaking it down, especially in front of a 12 year old girl. (laughs) But when things are sexualized like that, it can take away from all of the wonderful messages that they were putting out there. It, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it really can because that becomes then the focus of but like how the hot they look. Sells, and right? sex, so that's And sex sells, right? right? But like what about all of the um, other amazing things that they were doing to bring awareness to their culture mm-hmm. or to political the things political that were messages. going on? Right? I didn't what, even catch them. I was so busy <laughs> dealing with like the comments in my living room that I didn't even exactly notice the political what, messages. And so as much as I honor and respect JLo and Shakira and do think that they're beautiful, amazing, sexy women, mm-hmm. by showing up that way, does it take away from your message and, you know, and really the substance of what they're really trying to do? I mean, I love that question, but I have to like throw a question back out. Like if they didn't look like that and they didn't take their clothes off, would they even have the chance to put the message out there? And it's, that's a really valid question. There's no right answer to that. It's just like something to think about. But But again, the sex, that's what sells. The sex is what sells. But I, I love what you just touched on. Like we're sitting in a living room watching, you know, like it's a family, Super Bowl is a family event and we're watching these like half naked women and that's acceptable. But I don't in like the privacy of our homes and breastfeeding in public, like we're not I feel like right. we're not talking about sex enough. I don't like exactly. just on a That's personal exactly friendship level. I have um my very close friends, my very close friend and her husband, he talks about sex all the time. And he's actually like the one that made me more comfortable in talking about sex all the time. And I think I talk about it so much now I make him uncomfortable, which is a nice turnaround. Um but it's like without that, I wouldn't have talked about it. I wouldn't have learned more about it. I wouldn't have been so comfortable. I wouldn't have walked into your office and been like, hi, I had a G-spot orgasm that changed my life, you know, before I even knew who you were. I went, I'm so comfortable now talking about it. And I'm so used to talking about it with people. And like, I've, I think I've surrounded myself with people that are used to me talking about sex. And it's partially the dual work, but it's also partially what's been going on for me personally that I, I was at dinner with my two friends that are like, they're very sweet and they're very Catholic. <laughs> and they're very shy. And just like casually over pizza, I just asked them like what their long-term birth control plan was. <laughs> they just got white. giggly oh. and white. And like, it was, it, we've laughed about it since, but I didn't even realize it was, that's like an awkward question to ask because I just am so used to talking about sex and birth and body parts and, and things like that. Um, but I think that there is this like closeted thing where we're really over-sexualized in our, in our media and there's no talk about real sex, about actually like with our partners, about both our successes. Remember over lunch, we're like agreeing we're going to text each other every time we have an orgasm because it's like, let's celebrate that. But there's also, because we're not even talking about when it's good, we're not talking about when it's bad. Yeah. And I have found out over the past couple of years, I have found out more couples than I ever thought that I know in my life are not sexual. They're not having any sexual contact mm-hmm. on the long term, on the on the long scale. And it's like, it floors me. It becomes the thing that you think that you can't live without or that you can, that you can live without. That you can live without. You can live without. I get the impression. But more so for women. I know that I over a conversation- 
that we had talked a little bit yeah. about, the majority of people who contact me for sex therapy are mm. usually the men. Yes, which surprised me for a couple of reasons. Um, or it's the woman who's calling because that's what oftentimes will happen is they're the ones making the phone call, but um, but it's their male partner. That's interested. Yeah. That's or that's is- making it like, okay, well, either you're the issue oh. or um, or like this is that important. Whereas very often, I think you it. said it before, it's like, well, you know, you feel like you could just kind of live without it. Right. And that's – and so – and I and I do believe um, that because of the way that our culture has um, done us a disservice with women and sex and sexuality, that that's a big part of why, right? Like, man's being sexual, it's celebrated if they have – right? Yes. And these are, these are stereotypes to some degree, right? Yes. Um, but I think safe to say that very oftentimes if a man is – having multiple partners or they're being super sexual or whatever, like it's celebrated, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, yeah, you know, you're, that's, it's, I don't even know how to categorize it because I would never use that language, but yeah, it's celebrated, right? But if it's a woman. Then she's a slut. Then she's a slut. Yeah. I mean, I remember even, this is going way back, but like, I remember in middle school, like when, when sexual talks started amongst peers, I remember it being like, something again, like the boys would like talk about jerking off or something. And it was like, it was celebrated and it was fine. And like, you could never say you masturbated as a girl. It was just like not allowed. Mm-hmm. And I think to some, in some extent it has carried over into adulthood that women are not talking about sex, but they're also not, I mean, I have friends that have ne- never had an orgasm mm-hmm. that don't masturbate. Mm-hmm. I just, as do I, <laughs> I'm just, I I giggle because I'm uncomfortable about that, but like I I don't even I feel for them because they're missing out on something that I have found, at least in my perspective. That might not be like the politically correct way to put it, but I feel for them. Well, there are I mean, we have to be sensitive to the fact that there are a lot of people who have certain values around that and to be honorable about that, but barring any type of cultural or religious mm-hmm. or what, even if it's not cultural or religious and it's just that those are their values, you know, outside of that. Yeah. It's, it's a really the people important I'm thinking of. It's like not it's by not choice, <laughs> you know, like it's not like a cultural or lifestyle choice. It's like they would love to be having orgasms or the friends that are in sexual or, or in marriages that have now don't have sex. Like they would love to be having sex and they used to, but it's like something has happened that they're not. And there's, there's, I think part of why I wanted to talk to you today, like there's this lack of, of talking about it. There's this lack of being open about it, but then there's like this lack of urgency. Also, there is this, we can live without it. I will just shut that part of my life down. Yes. And that feels really sad for people who would otherwise with a little bit of help, perhaps, be able to find that part of themselves and find that connection with their partner again. It is really sad. And I think that one of the things that we don't really see or understand because we're not really a culture who talks about sex Mm -hmm. is that even though we do have this perception, and I guess it's a reality that we can live without it, don't for a second think that not having a healthy sexuality or healthy sexual energy kind of 
running through our body is that it doesn't have a negative impact on us, mm. right? I mean, then we get into more of like the yogic perspective of energy system and chakras and right, like, so we have a human energy system mm. and there are much more than seven chakras, but there are seven major ones that run along the, uh, the center of our body, throughout the center of our body. The second chakra is our sex center, right? It's where everything related to sexuality, reproduction, um, and it's also our creative energy mm. lies there, right? It's right beneath our navel where our sacrum is, right? So right in the center where a womb is, right? Where all mm. of our organs is, where all of the juices flow. Like um, that's where it is all stored. And when in any energy center, if it's out of balance, it will affect everything else, mm -hmm. including even illness. The yogic philosophy of physical illness, as um, at least my understanding of it, is that it is a physical manifestation of an energetic imbalance. And so if there are emotional or psychological things that happen that are unresolved in our life, if there are things that have happened that has affected the flow of a particular energy center, that in that area, that's where physical illness will occur. Mm -hmm. So the philosophy of like, oh, somebody has heart disease. Yes. Could there be things like you smoke? Well, you're literally filling your, right. not you smoke, but right. I'm saying a person smokes, right? You're literally filling your lungs with smoke. So of course it's going to affect the energy flow there and the health of your heart and your muscles and all of those kinds of things. So wherever there is something unresolved, that tends to be where illness will happen. And so again, I, I almost hesitate to say that because I don't want people to then think about like, oh, well, you know, I have these particular issues in this area of my body. So mm -hmm. is that my fault? Did I do something? Like yes. I have to be careful of that. I love that you mentioned that because I think that's a really slippery slope for people to go down. It's like, yes, there's a mind-body connection. Yes, our spiritual and energy and emotion, our tissue stores our emotional traumas yes, in it. Exactly. So, yes, physical illness can be related to that. But at the same time, like you can't, if you get cancer or you get, have a heart attack or something, you can't blame yourself. That's, and that's, and I the, love that you just pointed that out. Because, because it's I important. Think you have to be careful about people that. People out there that will blame themselves and, and try to work through. And there's like this moral equivalence for illness. And that's not, that's not a healthy way of using no. that knowledge. Right? It's not a healthy way of using that knowledge. Right. It's like I went into a, a store a couple weeks ago with a friend of mine and they ha it was like um, uh, gemstones, right? Like so quartz and hematite and like all these things. And there were these little signs that says, what did it say? It said something like, um, car do not touch. If you touch it, you break it. Karma will get you or karma is. <laughs> That's a little aggressive for a gemstone shop. No? I was like, I'm not buying anything here. Clearly Yay. they don't understand karma or energy. That's not how it works. Wow. That's not how or it works. Or shoplifting for that. Or, or anything like that. All right. So, but not to like go too far away from what we're saying, but yeah. like in terms of our sexual health, if we, if that part of our energy is not flowing, mm -hmm. then it's going to affect us in different ways. It can affect our creativity. It affects, it can affect our motivation. It can affect our self-esteem, our confidence. It can affect so many other areas of our lives, but I don't know because we're not talking about it mm -hmm. 
that people really attribute those other problems to, oh, maybe it's because this part of me is shut down. You said that before. Like for some people it is. It feels, I love that you're saying that sexual, it can really feel separate. Like this completely separate behind closed doors once a week area of your life. And you could, I could see the way our society treats it. I could see how it's like, what, what does my sex life have to do with my mood? What does it have to do with my choices, with my everything? And like someone, like, I just want to speak to what's going on for me because that's all I can speak to. But I don't think it's a coincidence that over the past six months when my sex life like took a huge upward turn and I found out all kinds of things about how to find pleasure in my partner and my body. And it's become like a real chore, not chore. It's been a a hobby and something that we look forward to and I'm much more connected to. I don't think it's an accident that at the same time I like have this wonderful creative idea for Be Her Village and suddenly I'm taking chances and risks and, and moving forward in this creative place. I, it, once I talked to you about that, I was like, oh, uh-huh. this is all connected. <laughs> Look at that. Yep. And I wonder then like those days, I mean, everybody has them, those days slash time slash months that you wake up and like, you're just getting through your life and you go to work and you make dinner and you put the kids to bed. And, and, and it's like this kind of mechanical way of existing. It's interesting that it's, you're probably not having, you know, mind blowing sex while, <laughs> while you're having life like that. Like they're, they're so interconnected. And yet somehow we've managed to. You're right. To I think that's separately. a, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Right. Of like, we kind of compartmentalize. That's the word. Yeah. Perfect. Sex yeah. itself and our sexualities of like, Oh, this thing over here, I don't really have time for that mm-hmm. necessarily, but I don't, but like you said, like, I don't think that many people are drawing the connections between that and how it is impacting their health. Mm-hmm. in so many different ways and their mm-hmm. success, right? Yes. I mean, literally your creative energy is the same as our sexual energy. It's I the love same. that. That needs to be shouted. It's the same. Wow. It is the same. And you don't need to have, and by the way, all this we're taught, I know that we're talking about women who are having babies and things like that. And not that there's always a partner involved in having a baby, right? Absolutely. But like, yes. and you're talking about masturbation. And so like, we can still have a healthy sexuality and still be sexual yes. without having a partner. Definitely. Just to kind of throw that out I love there. that. That's good because there's lots of single moms. There's lots of people who are single moms by choice that have have used fertility treatments or single moms not by choice that might be listening to this going, oh, great. I can only be creative if I find some somebody to partner up with. But it's no, it almost – it's not about a partner. It's not Partners about a partner. Partners can make it more fun, right? But it's – it's something it could, or maybe, you know, or maybe not. Or maybe not. Or really maybe de- not. It really depends on the partner. It really imagine. depends on the partner, and it really depends on communication, and mm-hmm. it really depends – it depends upon a lot of things. I love But that. just to make sure that people are knowing and hearing that, like, you do not have to have a partner to be sexual or to have a healthy sexuality. I love it. Because I think that that's another just, you know – um, disservice that our mm-hmm. society has given us of like, oh, you know, you're not healthy that's, or that's, happy that's if part you of, don't have a partner and you can't be And sexual. that's part of the issue that we were talking about earlier where sexuality and sexual interactions, like it's this narrow of like two people together. It can be by yourself. It can be with more than two it people. Be, I mean, it could more be. Power to you, you know? Why not? Yeah. Okay. So switching gears mm-hmm. <laughs> before we go down that path. <laughs> 
We could just keep going. You we have a whole day. What are we, we? We have our martini podcast schedule. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll go into group sex during that. Um, so I want to talk about for our listeners who are people who are working with birthing families or are birthing growing families. What types of things? So we've talked all about how self care is important, and then we've talked about when you're not taking care of yourself, how sex becomes this chore and it becomes maybe non existent in your relationship. So, what are the types of things a family who is going to add a baby, or um, or is about to be pregnant, or or just had a baby? What are the types of things that they can be thinking about, that they can be looking out for, that they could they come and visit a sex therapist before there's a problem and and what would that look like? Like, what are the types of things that they should be thinking about? Maybe to not, to become before they're in crisis and, hey, we haven't had sex in three years. Yes. But what can they do before it gets to that boiling point? I think it's a really smart thing to plan ahead. I mean, I have one couple now that I'm working with that has done just that. Like, they, you know, wanted to get things um, sorted out before they brought another baby into the world. Um And so planning for that is a really good idea. So I think that one thing is to keep in mind what we were just talking about is that being sexual and being sensual and creating connectedness with two people doesn't need to involve this. um, What's the word I'm looking for? This culturally created idea that we have of what sex is. I think people really need to get, I think, I don't know that that's first and foremost, Mm -hmm. but I think that that's a really important piece of it is that we really need to get creative about what sex and being sexual and being sensual really is. It's like when it reminds me of when people come into baby and me yoga classes Mm -hmm. and they think that the yoga class is going to be quiet and relaxing Mm -hmm. and zen and fluid and flowing and all the things that we would expect to walk into a regular yoga class. That's not at all what it is. It's the ability to be able to be in those situations and to learn how to just be present with everything and to not be reactive in a negative way, Mm. right? So like, can you still keep your connection to your breathing, despite the fact that your baby's crying or screaming or somebody else's kid is, or that another baby just go. So like, I think it's just redefining what this looks like, right. Mm -hmm. And having conversations of like, okay, well, if it's a no, right. If I'm approaching you for something sexual and it's a no, can it not be a no, but can it be a, um, well, how about this instead? Right. I wish I could find a catchy phrase to call that. Right. Like, but a, well, what about this instead? Right. right. So like, I'm not up for this tonight, but instead, do you think that maybe we can cuddle or we can spoon or I can mm-hmm. give you a massage or we can do something else? Can we take a bath together or a shower? Which more often or- than not, at least in my house, when, when we agree to like that one thing, it totally turns into sex. <laughs> and for many, it does. There's no pressure. It's like, you know, my husband, can we have sex? Like, I don't really feel like it. Can I give you a massage? Sure. And then like, hi, it just turns me on. And then we're, you know, before you even know it, but there's that pressure to perform or to be ready is gone. Yeah. Well, and that's also part of that. what can be foreplay, mm. right? I think a lot of people don't um, uh, really place the value on emotional foreplay, Mm. right? And so like real foreplay really happens from the minute that you wake up Mm. to the moment that you go to bed, 
right? It's not just like, oh, it's the end of the night. We're getting in bed and, you know, a little touch, a little pat here. And like that's, right. that's your foreplay. Like you know exactly what to do so that in 30 seconds you could be having no, sex. No, but that's like not... the biggest sex organ that we have is our brain. Yes. And so all of this to say, like, it's not just like being touched out, but it's also like, are, are, are we being mentally and emotionally nurtured and mm-hmm. stimulated Right. Even if it's, oh, I love how hard you're working, you know, to breastfeed our child, like even just and that gets into, again, love languages. Mm. Uh, You know, there are five of them, according to Gary Chapman, who wrote this book. But, you know, there's all different kinds of ways. What are the five love languages? Oh, I'm going to forget one because I always do. We'll work together. So five are um, uh, physical touch is one. Um, Words of affirmation is another or expressions of gratitude. I don't know exactly how he phrases it. Is another gift giving is another um, acts of service is another and then there's a fifth one. I always forget the fifth one. It's never the same one. Okay, <laughs> so I'll just ask I'll you just in five minutes. You'll go I'll remember again, it. We'll I will it. remember it. Um, I, I won't remember it the second. But okay. Yes. Yeah. So, but the, and basically the premise of that book is we tend to show love to other people in the ways that we want to be shown love. Mm. And that's a big part of the communication issue, right? So I have a couple who, again, they're coming in and they're, we're planning on having another baby. And a lot of the issues started when they had their first baby and they just kept saying, well, but I was there for you. I did all these things. I took off of work. I did this, I did that. And they were like, okay, yes, I needed those things, but that wasn't really nurturing me. Right. That was taking care of our home and the chores and like all, and that was a relief for me. Right. But that still wasn't nurturing me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so her love language was, oh, quality time. See, I told you I would come up. You got with it. Good. The fifth one is quality time. So mm-hmm. like maybe that would be quality time that you're spending to, you know, with one another. Right. Or maybe it's physical touch, which does not translate into sex. Physical mm. touch is not equal to sex. It's the skin hunger. It's the affection. It's yes. the, you know, it's uh, running my fingers through your hair Absolutely. or rubbing my finger down your nose. Or that's how I used to like to fall asleep is like Aww. a little rub on the nose. I love that. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, so it's, it really has to be t- discussed. And I would even suggest people to take this test that's at the end of the book. You can even find it online. Oh, I love it. And to see like what your love language is. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you talk about like, well, what kinds of things can I do to nurture you like during this time? Right. So there's that, there's the communicating about what each other needs. There's making the time for, um, for play. Again, that could be like, I'm going to warm your car up for you in the morning. I'm going to bring you coffee in your, Mm. in in bed, or I'm going to, you know, I like to, I wish I did it more often, which I'll remember to do it now. But like sometimes I'll take their my kids' towel or my partner's towel and I'll throw it in the dryer. Oh my god! To heat it up for me, that sounds amazing, right? Yeah, it's like it's the simplest, quickest thing. Like when I remember and like you get out and like your towels are nice and warm and cozy, right? It's so sweet. I love that. Like just like those little things, like or you know, getting little messages throughout the day or sending a meme or like Mm -hmm. we spend so much time and I have to do it myself more. Like I spend so much time and not even enough, you know, of like. What am I going to put up on Instagram today? Finding a meme or a cute picture or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. do we do that for our partners? Right. How often are we sending them little things that are inspirational like that? My you know, brother, like my brother and like sister-in-law. That. I don't know if they still do it. I hope they do. And it's actually a question I want to ask now. Um, but throughout their dating time, they would just send each other the cutest puppy pictures that they could find. And it was just 
like every now and then a puppy picture with, yeah. and like everybody loves puppy pictures. Right. And it was such like, it was more meaningful for them because it was like coming from the person you love, exactly. but that falls into that. So what Take, I'm, yeah. what I'm thinking of when you talk about this is I'm thinking about how as a birth doula, I, t- I think about labor and we talk about this with our couples. I talk about labor being this thing that kind of like, it's like a crucible. Like it, it strips everything away from you. Every single contraction, it strips everything you have away. And you're just kind of left with like the essence of you, which is for some people that's exciting. And for other people, they're scared to see what's underneath all of that. I think in a lot of ways with sexuality and parenting, parenting is that crucible. Parenting is like, you know, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, like making someone coffee. And my husband makes me coffee every morning and it it makes me so happy to be cared for in that way. It's, it takes two minutes, you know, but when you're inundated with the demands of children, with the demands of work and life and adulting, I'll just call it adulting. When you're, when you're inundated with those demands, it's almost like the labor for birth. You know, it's like, it's, we get stripped down and those, those parts in our relationship that aren't solid get exposed. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds almost like you're saying, you know, what does love language have to do with sex? Like, well, it has everything to do with sex because Mm -hmm. the sex is almost like the pinnacle of that expression. So when we're feeling really connected, when we're feeling really secure in our relationship and, and we're taking care of ourselves and each other, then good sex happens. Yes. Wow. That's That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, and for many Women in particular, and I don't want to be a generalist and say that this is the case for all women, mm-hmm. but for many women, our brains and our hearts need to be connected and stimulated before our sexuality, right? Or maybe not before our sexuality. That's not fair to say, but more like our sexual energy, mm-hmm. right? So like before we can even think to be really sexual, we need to feel mentally and emotionally connected. Right. So like if you think about it in terms of energetic, our energies kind of work from the top down. Mm -hmm. Whereas for men, and again, I'm being heterosexist, I'm being generalist, but for many men, in order for them to feel loved or feel emotionally connected, very oftentimes their energies work from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. I don't remember where I heard that. I think it probably was at a conference that I went to, but like they described it like that. And it just makes so it makes much so sense. Much like sense. that at end, I think that our culture plays into that in terms of like, again, equating this, like in order for you to be loved, you need to be sexual mm-hmm. or, or like equating it somehow. And that's not, oh, that's not the case. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be. But when it comes to them being in a relationship, I think a lot of men tend to fall on that side. Like if they're not having that need fulfilled, then they're not feeling enough or that they don't feel like their partner loves them or they don't mm-hmm. feel um, that their relationship is even good sometimes. Right. And that's not always the case. It's not always the case. And so we need to start tuning into that, that our energies work in that way. And that I just, and this is experiential and somewhat research driven of like, if a woman doesn't feel connected in that way, then to get her to be sexual is very oftentimes very difficult. Oh my goodness. To say the least. I'm sorry. I'm just speaking from my own. This came up when we were having lunch, when I was like, I just had like the best orgasm. We had such great sex. And it was so interesting because it was because we like laid in bed and I, and I literally just talked about my day for like 20 minutes. I just talked and talked and talked 
And I didn't, That's you know, it. it didn't feel sexual to me. I knew we were going to have sex, but I just, I talk, you know, so I'm talking and talking and talking about my day. And then boom, we have this like incredible, I mean, incredible orgasms. And I was like, whoa, you know, and my husband said to me, and I didn't know about this like top down, down up thing. He said, well, if you notice, you know, when we, when I just like let you go and talk about your day and, and you get like a lot of your stress off of your plate, you just like have a much better time during sex. And I'm like, people need to be emotionally intimate for that to, because it's not just like getting rid of the stress on my plate. It's like connecting Connecting. with them over my day and over my thoughts and feelings that I'm having. And then it leads to like an incredible physical connection. Exactly. So I know from the female perspective anyway, that is, so when you said that and it's the opposite for men and I find that with my husband, like, you know, he's like really grumpy when we don't have sex, you know, and he's like not a grumpy guy, but he gets just like this little like stink about him. Like he just, he's just not happy go lucky. And then when we have sex, it just like instantly improves his mood and we're much more connected. But I could see how that tension of like, well, I need to be connected it's, first and then we have sex. Well, I can only be connected after we have sex. That's the ultimate no wonder balance, people right? Are right. No wonder, no wonder why people are having a hard time, yeah. right? But that's the ultimate balance, right? So that's like yin-yang right there. I right. mean, the ultimate balance of um, – and I'm not saying that masculine feminine needs to equate to man-woman because right. it does not, right. right? But that's what tantra is. Like that's – it's the, you know, the balance of masculine and feminine energies is that feeling of oneness – that we can have within ourselves, but also with other people. And so like, so it's such an interesting thing to get to because what's going to come first, right? So is, so if a man feels more like he needs to be sexual to feel connected, and again, it's not all the time, not every case, you know, and a woman needs to feel more emotionally connected to be sexual. When do you have the sex? When is that going to happen? And who's going to, and who's, and who's going to play to a little bit. And that, and, yeah. and, and, and that I, might not be the right not, word. Yeah. That's what I'm, like, I was but looking like for a, the right word too. A tug and a pull and pull and push and pull. Tug of war. Yeah. Right. It's like, what's going to come first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. Right. So like, is the, is the person going to be sexual and then feel more connected and then they're going to have that need fulfilled or does, if it's in a, you know, man, woman relationship, does the man need to become more sexual for, I mean, to, to, have that pillow talk for 20 minutes or do all of these other things to make her feel nurtured and connected in order to get that. It's it's, and that is one of the things that happens. All that's where people get stuck. Mm. That's where people get stuck Mm. in their relationships and need to find compromise. That's where it says, okay, well, if I'm not willing to do this right now, then what am I willing to do? Right. So like, if I can't, if I don't have it in me to be sexual with you, Instead of saying no and making them feel shut down and discouraged and, and rejected, everyone goes and off their own ways. That, and that's the cycle, right? Oh, yeah. It's like if, if my partner is saying no, and even yeah. though it's because their breasts belong to my baby mm-hmm. or like all of these other reasons, if they're saying no, then what happens very oftentimes is that someone's internalizing it and making it feel making it's making them feel as though that it's them, that there's something wrong with them. They're not attractive. Like that's oftentimes one of the first places that people go and it could have nothing to do with that. Well, I would just, we're going to switch gears a little bit here, but like I went out with um, a couple of friends of mine on Saturday and we're having this discussion loudly at the bar, but I body image for me affects my desire to be sexual and where it did because I'm in this like new place where it doesn't I'm in a really good sexual place this is part of why we're here but 
I used to like, if I gained a few pounds or I wasn't feeling myself, I would not want to have sex. And I could see how my partner and we would have this conversation and he would like, he's like, is it me? You know, because I, I would just reject, reject, reject. And I'm like, no, it's me. It has not, I love you. I'm totally attracted to you, but I'm not into my own body right now. That's just it. And so, but I could see how that, even though it's totally had nothing to do with him, how he could internalize that and be like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's got to be me. It happens really all difficult. the time. And that's where the focus needs to come, needs to switch to not just what my partner can do for me, but what can I be doing for myself? Like what's going right. to make you feel empowered? What's going to make you feel connected to your body? What's going to make you feel sexy? What's going to make you feel sensual? And that's different for everybody. Definitely. For you know me, very oftentimes it's quite honestly going to yoga. Like that's what or being at the beach mm. or, you know, taking a long shower or like having a really good conversation with my partner mm-hmm. where they're attentive and like, and I feel understood, right? That's one of the biggest things mm. in this whole picture is the ability to feel understood and heard and to have empathy, right? There's that emotional piece of it that's needed very oftentimes for somebody to even want to be giving of themselves mm. or want to be receptive of that kind of attention or pleasure. So that's another piece that people need to start tuning into. And then, you know, other things that couples can be doing is set up your village, making sure you have, you know, other people's support around. The basic so needs met. The basic needs <laughs> yeah. met. So that you and so that you can and also that you need to take the time for each other, even if it's 10 minutes mm-hmm. a day, a 10 minute connect yeah. where nothing else is distracting you. It could right. be you're looking at each other. It could be you're breathing together. I mean, you're breathing anyway. So you could do, well a, do it together. May as well do it together. <laughs> so like you don't have energy for anything else where well, you have to breathe anyhow. So lay down next to each other and that. just sync up your breathing. Yeah. I do that with my kids even all the time. Like that's pr- half of my morning meditation is my son will crawl into my bed and I'll sit there and I'll just pay attention to his breathing that, you know, is happening. Mm-hmm. So I need to do it more with my partner. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Right. Um, so that's another thing that people can be doing and, but you need to schedule the time too. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people think that because sex is supposed to be, and I have quotes up, right. Supposed to be spontaneous is that we don't schedule it in and that people think that it ruins the spontaneity. But when you think about when you first started to date, wasn't it all scheduled for most people, right? Right. When you start dating, it's like, oh, I'm going to pick you up at what time? So what do we do to, what do we do? We prep. Yeah. Right. We get ready. We get excited. So like, why is it any different now? Yeah. It shouldn't be. We schedule sex all the time. We have so much scheduled sex. And I actually, I do love, and we have had this spontaneous, like, oh my God, the kids are not here and you're super hot. Let's do it. But I love it because we text each other all day. Like, I'm going to jump your bones later. And like, you know, like this like sexual stuff back and forth. It's fun though, because I, this is, all right, this is just for everybody to know now, but like I get very horny during the day. I love, but during the day that I'm working, he's working, or if it's the weekend, the kids are around. So it's, it's this fun, like build up where I can like capitalize on the feelings I have during the day and translate them into nighttime. Yeah. But it's, but it's nice to schedule it in that way because it's like something we're both looking forward to. That's it. And I think people have a really hard time wrapping their head around like, I have to schedule this. It's like, Mm. well, look at all the benefits that can come from that. Right. I love it. 
I think that's great. So before we sign off, I want to hear from you um, about how you incorporate your sexual uh, therapy practice into Sea Change. Um, so there are a couple of different ways. I mean, the other practitioners that are here, we have acupuncture, massage therapy, a physical therapist that specializes in pelvic floor physical therapy and my abdominal release because a lot of things go on even in the abdomen that pregnant women or postpartum women need support with. Um, So the practitioners that I've chosen to work out of here um, all specialize in working with that population um, in terms of sexual health and reproductive health. And so like for people who are coming for sex therapy, um, if they need acupuncture or PT, uh, you know, that, that can help them with that. I, that's why I was very particular about who I chose to join the practice, right? Or if women who are dealing with some postpartum issues, pelvic floor dysfunction or diastasis or other kinds of things that could come up, they are able to treat that. So I wanted to make sure that the other practitioners that I did bring into the space was able to address the the majority of the concerns that the population that I serve here. And then in terms of the yoga that we do, the yoga also, um, it's not a typical yoga center, although we do have regular yoga classes on the schedule, but we have um, many prenatal and postnatal um, uh, classes to choose from. And then over time, we'll also be incorporating Um, some more sexuality driven types of classes. So like other types of movement classes will be starting. um, I don't know when I'll start it, but I'll be starting a Tantra gathering probably (laughs) once a month. Um, So, so we're just trying to make sure that, that, that sexuality piece is addressed in much of the work that we do with other, another therapist that we have specializes in perinatal loss. Um, and so I'm not sure if that completely answers your question, it does. It but does. I just so want to kind of all the practitioners, all the offerings incorporate yes. everything we've talked about as sex is not compartmentalized into this like other thing. It's it's no. all wrapped up in all of your offerings. So thank you so much for sitting down with me today, Heather. As usual, it was spectacular. And I hope that all of our listeners will check out Sea Change Holistic Wellness Center. Thank you. And thank you so much for having us be part of your village. Of course. Thanks, Heather.